the National Women's Soccer League kicks off March 16th on ION. Out in front to Williams. It's a new Saturday night destination featuring the best players in the world. Takes a shot, she scores! See the full schedule and find where to watch at IONNWSL.com. The best of Easter begins with a full honey baked spread. Mm. It's the thing that brings flavor to all the fun and festivities. Ooh. The bites that make all your guests grateful that Easter's here a little early this year. Enjoy the sweet and crunchy glaze of Honey Bake's bone-in half ham, mouth-watering sides, and desserts. Mm. And make this year's Easter the best-tasting one yet. Cheers. Every bite is a celebration with the Honey Baked Ham Company. At IKEA, your dream home is a blue bag away. No matter the size of your space or budget, we've got everything you need to turn your dreams into reality. And now with new lower prices on hundreds of our most popular products, bringing the dream home is even easier. Like the gray Strandom wing chair, was $369, now $299. And the IKEA Plus 365 nine-piece cookware set was $129.99, now $89.99. And hundreds more. Shop new lower prices at ikea-usa.com today. Introducing Batiste's wet-activated and touch-activated dry shampoo. With breakthrough technology that absorbs oil and releases bursts of fragrance whenever you sweat or touch your hair for up to 24 hours, it's the ultimate hair care for girls on the go. Try the newest dry shampoo that's activated by you. Batiste, the future of hair care is here. Buy Batiste dry shampoo online or in-store at your nearest retailer. Hello and welcome to Star Diary, the podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. You can subscribe to the print edition of the magazine by visiting skyatnightmagazine.com or to our digital edition by visiting iTunes or Google Play. Greetings listeners and welcome to Star Diary, a weekly guide to the best things to see in the Northern Hemisphere's night sky. As we are based in the UK, all times are in GMT. In this episode, we'll be covering the coming week from the 14th to the 20th of November. I'm Ezzy Pearson, the magazine's features editor, and I'm joined on the podcast today by Reviews Editor Paul Manny. Hello, Paul. Hello there, Ezzy. We're up for some more treats. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, Paul, what are your recommendations for the coming week? Well, we're still following the moon because, unfortunately, you know, it does tend to dominate the sky. Now, obviously, if mm. you're deep sky fans, you like to get rid of the moon. <laughs> but we will come to that. But we begin this week with the waning moon above the beehive star cluster in Cancer. Now, you start off late in the evening, around about 10 p.m., when they're higher in the sky. If you do it too early, then they're very low down and, you know, they're only just rising. You get all the murk as such. So allow them to actually get higher in the sky before you start observing. And if you do observe later into the night, you'll notice the moon slowly draw in a line, a northern line in conjunction, as we say, uh, with mm. the cluster itself. And there'll be gamma cancri and delta cancri as well. So they form that triangle with the beehive cluster sort of thing uh, to view. So you've got the cluster itself. The moon, now that it's no longer full, well, um, it won't be dominating quite as badly. It won't be flooding the sky with as much light. So you should be able to see the cluster uh, as well as the moon with binoculars. But bear in mind that when you look directly at the moon, your eyes sort of will, the iris is closed down, of course, sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And when you look towards the deep sky, the cluster, 
they'll take a while to open out again sort of thing to allow the light in so do bear that in mind so uh, there we are but uh, yeah it's a wonderful cluster i mean the beehive it's, it is a, a one of those showpiece clusters i think that and the pleiades the, the, and the double cluster those those are probably three of my favorites have to say in the sky so I always look forward to when it comes back, sort of thing, you know. I'm mm. one of these miserable devils that can't wait for the summer to be over and whatnot. I have these dark <laughs> nights at last, oh, you know, get the telescope out, sort of thing. But I don't mind the moon, I must admit. I don't mind the moon at all. So that was on the 14th. The next night, really, it's in between. It's sort of like the other side of Cancer, it's between Cancer and Leo. And then on the 16th to the 17th, just before midnight on the 16th, look towards the east-northeast. That will be the last quarter moon rising. And it lies between Regulus and Algebra in Leo. Now, the thing about Algebra, it's a wonderful golden pair of stars. It's a binary system, absolutely stunning system to have a look at. So well worth exploring. And you've got the moon and you've got Regulus there. Regulus itself is a double star. Quite a contrast, though. You've got a bright primary in the main star Regulus, and then the companion is a lot fainter, but visible in binoculars if you uh, are careful. So there we are. So we've got Regulus, we've got the moon. Uh, at its last quarter, and you've got algebra to actually look at. That's uh, just before midnight itself sort of thing, and then allow them to gradually get higher. As they get higher, of course, the moon will start to move away. It won't be quite in that alignment with algebra and regulus. It'll slowly form more of a triangle such as it does so. Now, the 17th is always, or we always get excited in the 17th of mm. November. Because 17th to 18th is around about the time for the peak of the Leonids meteor shower. Now, the Leonids themselves, they're, they're well known because they have a major storm roughly every 33 years mm -hmm. and they go bonkers. You know, I mean, we, we're talking about thousands per hour mm -hmm. can be seen. Now, I missed the last one in 1998. I missed it. <laughs> So I'm looking forward. I've got 10 years left, sort of thing, for about 12 years or such before we have the peak next. So we're two, I get excited. I'm with two thirds of the way. I can't believe we're already two thirds of the way to the next one. Mm. So what's the chances it'll be cloudy when it comes round? However, <laughs> it doesn't stop us looking at the shower every year. And the general numbers are quite low, 15 per hour. And remember the zenith hourly rate is a perfect condition looking directly above you, the zenith, under pitch black skies, you know, mm. um, in theory, uh, I would say without any atmosphere to make it even darker, but then you wouldn't see any meteors, would you? <laughs> you wouldn't see a lot <laughs> if there was no atmosphere, to be fair. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have any, any meteors because that's what a meteor is. It's a piece of space debris coming through the atmosphere. Yeah. I mean, at least, at least, well, if it's in space, it's a meteoroid. If it's actually going through the atmosphere and we see it, it's a meteor. And of course, if it's big enough to land as a lump, it's a meteorite. Too many sci-fi movies and shows have said, oh, mm. look, there's a meteorite. And you see this thing streaking across the sky. And us astronomers are all screaming at the TV going, no, that's a meteor, not a meteorite. So it's got to land. I will say <laughs> it is easy enough to make that mistake, um, <laughs> to, to, to misspeak <laughs> on that one. I know I've done that a couple of times. But uh... but the filmmakers and program makers should do their research. They should contact us, Ezzy. Yeah. They should have <laughs> us as consultants. <laughs> But the thing is, even with a zenith hourly rate of 15, you know, you, you, if you look at you should see a few over the course of the night. I think that's the key. And 
There is a prediction. Now, this is, these predictions are always difficult. They don't always come to fruition. But there is a suggestion that on the uh, morning of the 19th, just before the twilight begins, there could be an enhanced activity, so more meteors. Mm. So although it's – these are streams. What happens is the comet – these are from comets. Meteors come from comets as a rule. And basically, it's the sort of material that's been released by the comet as it's got close to the sun. That material follows the comet round in its orbit. And if we happen to intersect that orbital path, that's when we get the meteors. And the thing is, these streams, these, these particles gradually spread out. And so therefore, you might get patches where there's a bit of an outburst from the comet. So you get this slight patch of enhanced activity. Mm. And they're getting very clever at modeling these now. So this is why it's becoming a lot easier to model them and make it, hopefully, fingers crossed, we will see this and it'll help confirm the models. It's actually those, when you bring up those models, because a lot of the data that was taken from those was a lot of it's done by amateur astronomers at home who are monitoring these. Uh, there's professional observatories as well, but there are also people every time there's a meteor shower, they go out and record when and where and how bright they see their meteors are. Um, and that helps researchers map out exactly where these meteor streams are. Um, so that's one of those areas where amateur astronomy can really help with science as well. And one of our writers, regular contributors to the magazine, Mary McIntyre, her mm. and her husband, Mark, actually did a feature on DIY meteor watching. And this is the Meteor Watch Network. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is, a lot of astronomy in the early days was done by the amateurs, the grand amateurs, mm -hmm. as Dr. Alan Chapman would call them sort of thing. So, you know, this it is, it's down to us. So we can still contribute. And I think that's amazing yeah. that we actually can still contribute to real science by observing these meteors because the professionals don't have the time or the resources always to monitor these sort of things. And if that's something any of our listeners are interested in getting involved with, please visit www.skyatnightmagazine.com where we have a guide about how to go about doing that. We've got a guide for everything you know sort of thing. That's why <laughs> we are the trusted source of astronomical information. Now, there will be the moonlight diminishing the number of meteors seen. So that's one of those things. But turning to the moon, the 18th is an interesting effect. Now, the moon appears to wobble to us. Pete Lawrence has done a really good feature in the November issue that is now out. And so therefore, you know, have a look at it because this is called libration. And libration is like a slight wobble in the orbit, sort of. The moon is slightly eccentric in its orbit. And sometimes we see slightly around one limb. And this is a good opportunity to see the feature known as Mare Orientale. So the Oriental Sea, because it's right on the limb, but the 18th and 19th are actually a good time to catch a little bit more detail on that. So it'd be worth astrophotographers, especially lunar images. They're out there. I know they are. So they, having a go, seeing if you can capture a little bit more of Mare Oriental, well worth having a look at sort of thing. It's fascinating to see the difference because a month later, you might not be able to see Mare Oriental at all. There'll be barely any sign of it because of the, the, the bad libration. So this is a good libration actually for it itself. So there, it's what we call a favourable libration. Now, the 18th and 19th also has another, 
I, I like unusual events. We, we, we hear a lot about the transits of the Galilean moons mm. across the actual surface of Jupiter or appearing to pass it in front of Jupiter. And they are fascinating, no doubt about it. And we often feature these in the magazine. Um, but one that's interesting is when they just miss and Callisto does this. And it just, it, it's just the fact that it will appear to be directly above and almost touching the northern limb of Jupiter. So, to all intents and purposes, it looked like there's a star just above Jupiter, but it won't be. It'll be Callisto. So you want to be looking around about half past 11 on the 18th. Remember, this is GMT for Callisto passing close to the northern limb. And again, if you're one of those that like to do animations of Jupiter's cloud tops, do this and show Callisto over the course of a couple of hours moving past the northern limb of Jupiter. Something different than the usual, the moon is next to a star or planet. Talking of which, on the 20th, we end with the moon. Actually, it's a very thin crescent now, but it's extremely close to another really good double, but tight double star, Gamma Virginis Parima. So this is the 20th. It has to be in the morning. And I'm sorry, but yes, it's five o'clock in the morning. But, you know, sometimes these things are worth getting. I mean, the crescent moon itself at that time of morning is gorgeous. You know, so well worth having a look at it sort of thing. And you'll still should be able to see Mare Oriental as well. So another bonus for observing it. But as I say, Gamma Virginis will be very close. It's one of those things that you'll see it with binoculars. You'll probably see it with the naked eye as well as this little dot next to the moon. But a telescope will bring out, hopefully, not just the moon in its detail, but you'll also start to split uh, Parma as well. They are fairly tight but well worth having a look at that just to finish off the week sort of thing with this wonderful view of the crescent moon and Parma, Gamma, Virginis. So thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us about all of those wonderful things, Paul. Um, it does certainly sound like it's a really good week this week. Uh, on the 14th, you've got the moon just above the beehive cluster. Then on the 17th to the 18th, you've got the Leonid's meteor shower will be peaking with perhaps a chance for some enhanced activity on the 9th of the 19th as well. So lots of opportunities to see that one if it does get nice and good this year. Then on the 18th, Libration will reveal Mare Oriental on the moon. Um, and you'll also have the opportunity on that night, uh, around about midnight UK time, to see Callisto as it brushes past Jupiter. Then on the 20th, you've got the thin crescent moon passing next to the double star, Porima. So lots of great things to see this week. And if you want to keep up to date with the best things you can see in the night sky every week, be sure to subscribe to the Star Diary podcast. And we'll hope to see you here next week. If you want to find out even more spectacular sights that will be gracing the night sky throughout the month, be sure to pick up a copy of BBC Sky at Night magazine, where we have a 16-page pull-out sky guide with a full overview of everything worth looking up for. Whether you like to look at the moon, the planets, or the deep sky, whether you use binoculars, telescopes, or neither, our sky guide has got you covered with the detailed star charts to help you track your way across the night sky. From all of us here at BBC Sky at Night magazine, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Diary podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at skyatnightmagazine.com or head to Acast, iTunes or Spotify. 